0: Good morning and uh, welcome to Cornerstone to our uh, adult Bible class and just uh, want to thank you for being here and and uh, we're going to be going into the resurrection today. Uh, Last week we were in the covered the crucifixion and so we get to do the happy side of the story um, today, but uh, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, you are uh, such a blessing to us. You give to us life. You give to us hope. You give to us a future. And it's all because of, of what you did for us on the cross. And, and then what happened um, at the tomb. And Lord, we uh, so greatly rejoice in that and, and so hold on to those truths. And Lord, as we look into those uh, things today, may our, our hearts be open, our minds be Uh, receptive to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you. All right. um, What did the resurrection accomplish? And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We're not going to really get into some of the apologetic aspects of the resurrection. That's actually a lesson in two weeks. And so if if you have some, some questions about that, and need to hold those in for a couple of weeks and, and uh, those will be covered then today is really just the theological ramifications what it really means to us that the resurrection occurred um, and I, I I would say you know just just for my own self doing the study on this, what a blessing this is and, and I hope that that um, I can convey to you um, uh, a good portion of uh, the blessing I received just doing the study for it. Uh, this is an amazing, um, the, the amazing thing that we have in our Christian faith. We're in this uh, series uh, now, The Church Begins, that we've been, as I, we've talked about before, we've we started back in Genesis, and we've been working our way clear through, We're trying to get a big picture the big picture of the gospel, the big picture of God and man and and God relating to man and God reaching down to man. And so we've gotten to this stage uh, now where uh, we're at the end of of the ministry of Jesus and and actually getting to that place where the church gets established and um, and how things move forward. Uh, these are some of the the topics that we're covering in this quarter. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So uh, today um, we get to get into the resurrection, but we want to do just a, a little bit of review and kind of set the stage um, in in uh, getting some some groundwork done so that we can get a, a deeper picture and a better picture of, of what the resurrection means to us. We covered, uh, have covered the trial of Jesus um, and everything that went on with that, including Peter's denial. Uh, we, we talked about those in the last few weeks. Last week, we talked about the crucifixion and uh, how you know, what it was that, that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And, and so uh, when, with the crucifixion, we we talked about that it was about a six hour process, from the time uh, Jesus was taken to the hill, and put on that cross. Um, the last three hours, and and the the the, um, the gospels talk about it from the the uh, third hour to the the sixth hour was the initial part of his suffering, and then this from the sixth hour to the ninth hour was. Uh, The last part of the suffering and that was the part that where darkness it says covered the area that it was in darkness and what that means uh we don't know whether there was a three-hour eclipse uh you know what it was uh we don't really know but whatever it was it was supernatural a supernatural event because we know eclipses only last for a few minutes uh that we have that we go through um this was three hours, and it's at the end of the three-hour period that Jesus cried out, uh, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And, and so, it's we believe that it's in that three hours that the 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 dimming of the light, so to speak, is is symbolic of God turning his back upon his son, and it's it's that separation <clears throat> that is is where the sin of mankind is placed upon. Jesus, where He bore our sins, the guilt, uh, and 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 all of that for our sins, and, and that was poured out on Him, and and that He really is that that sacrifice for us. He is that atonement for us. Um, and we, and one of the things that we see um, in that is the uh, this the sacrifice is a complete sacrifice and is accepted sacrifice, as we'll be looking at. But as we look at the death and the resurrection, we also see that th- this is a sacrifice and a conquest. Um, that that the, the resurrection, as we'll be looking at it, uh, really is a conquest, um, and it's both of these things go together to provide the redemption uh, that we needed. Um, at the crucifixion, Jesus gave up his spirit and then we're told that there was an earthquake and and uh inside the temple the the veil that separates the holy of holies uh was torn in two it's torn open and and the holy of holies was just opened up no more would there need to be sacrifices for sin uh to be made that Jesus had paid it all and so the veil was torn open and you have to wonder <clears throat> at the, uh, the observers. There was a lot of observers of this crucifixion. isn't uh, By an, an, an open entryway into Jerusalem, because of the Passover, a lot of out-of-town people coming to the city. The city population is swelled significantly because of Passover. And so there's a lot of observers, a lot of people. And with these things happening... The darkness for three hours the um the earthquake that takes place um that there's there's people that are are wondering you know what's going on people who are not you know from out of town who are not so connected to the politics of the city but maybe have some suspicions or that they sort of have a jaded view like most people have of politics um you know who knows what they thought um the centurion we know um who is no novice to crucifixions he had seen many of them i'm sure knew there was something different about this one and his comment was surely this must have been the son of god um, th- this is di- this is not the normal crucifixion um people is it were told leave the, the Golgotha area beating their breasts when all of these things occur. It's like there's this sense of foreboding this sense of what have we done uh, in 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 many people <clears throat> and so uh, that is uh, the the um, the crucifixion uh, time period that we talked about last week then uh, I want to kind of build a bridge to the resurrection and talk about some of the other things that uh, occurred one is the burial of of jesus uh, we we know that joseph of arimathea went to pilate to request the body of jesus now joseph it says is part of the council and so he's he's one of the members of the sanhedrin we know there's two members of the sanhedrin at least that did not consent to the to the tr- um, the crucifixion of Jesus, both Joseph and Nicodemus. Joseph um, is, does a pretty bold thing here to go and request the body uh, of Jesus, but he he um, takes that step. There's something about Jesus to him that dr- has drawn him, and and so Joseph, it seems, has been drawn to the truth, drawn to the light that Jesus has been offering. And then Nicodemus joined him. We're told uh, with bringing um, a whole bunch of of, uh, of spices and ointments that are used for anointing a body for burial. Now the normal way of to, of treating uh, crucified uh, people was to take them all off the cross and take them to Gehenna and just throw them into Gehenna. Gehenna was the garbage pit where um, it became synonymous or, or a picture of hell really it was it 's the place where the flame does not go out and where the worm does not die. Jesus talks about that that 's Gehenna Gehenna was the place just just where the garbage was burned and and continually burned, and that was where the dead uh, uh, victims of crucifixion their bodies were just cast in there but uh, Joseph had a love for for Jesus and so and being a wealthy man already had uh, this tomb purchased and probably purchased purchased it for a burial plot for his family and so it was it was there just waiting you know for for someone to in the family to die. Joseph already had it it was close by and so uh, went and, and uh, got permission. And he and Nicodemus together uh, took the body to the tomb. And uh, the time was, was running out. They were running out of time before the, uh, the Sabbath would begin. So they needed to work quickly. So they took the body to the tomb where they bathed it. Uh, this would be the custom. And, you know, there's, there's blood and there's all kinds of, 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 of wounds and things that they would want to, to clean off. And so they they would bathe the body, they would anoint it with the um, the uh, ointments that they would have and with the spices, and they would wrap it. see they' they're preparing the body as if it's going to decay. And one of the things to to see as as we go through this these initial things is is observing that no one, the dis, none of the disciples, um, including any of the women, um, including these two men expected jesus to come back from the dead um and we'll be talking more about their expectations (coughs) as they are as joseph and nicodemus are preparing the body in the tomb outside of the tomb just at the the mouth of the of the cave there uh where mary magdalene and um a couple of at least a couple of her friends Mary the mother of Joseph was one that's named uh James and Joseph uh, who are two of the disciples of Jesus they they were observing because uh, of the shortness of time not all of the the treatments of the body would be able to be completed before the sabbath and so the um, the women were planning that on Sunday morning when the Sabbath is completed to come back and finish uh, the job on of anointing and, and taking care of of the body um, of the one that they had loved the master that they had had served and followed and listened to and had been so wonderfully um, impacted Mary Magdalene was um, the impact upon her life by Jesus is that she had been possessed by demons and Jesus had cast out the demons um, and and so she had been set free and, and she was so grateful and and uh apparently it, as as a tradition uh, reveals that she was a a woman of means and and so uh, she, along with some of the other women that seemed to follow along who also had means were supporters uh, financial supporters of of the ministry of jesus so So anyway, they are there um, also observing the preparation of burial uh, by Joseph and Nicodemus. And then we know that the tomb was sealed. Um, The uh, leaders of the Sanhedrin had come to Pilate and said that, uh, you know, he had said he was going to rise again. And we don't want we don't want them to come and take his body and. And create a bigger scandal than what we already have so we want to seal the tomb so this can't happen and post guards to it so they did it and um and yet as we as we read the about the the attitude of the disciples is none of them expected jesus to rise again that that was not what was in their mind and so um as i was reading Eddersheim he 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 deals with this whole thing and he he asked the question. Was there really a need for it? A need for sealing the tomb? Because the disciples were so in grief and and they were not expecting any of that. And he goes on to say this about the disciples. Did they who had spent what remained of daylight to prepare spices wherewith to anoint the dead Christ, expect his body to be removed? Or did they expect, perhaps in their sorrow, to even think of his word, I rise again? But on that Holy Sabbath, when the Sanhedrists were thinking of how to make sure of the dead Christ, what were the thoughts of Joseph, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, of Peter and John, of the other disciples, and especially of the loving women who only waited for the first streak of Easter light to do their last service of love? What were their thoughts of God? What of Christ? What of the words he had spoken, the deeds he had wrought, the salvation he had come to bring, and the kingdom of heaven which he was to open to all believers? Behind him, Jesus, had closed the, the gates of Hades. But upon them, rather than upon him, had fallen the shadows of death. Yet they still loved him, and stronger than death, was love. And so you have these disciples that are in in some ways in despair and yet they are performing these acts of service to to Jesus by respecting his body and by caring for it and placing it in this tomb and what an honorable thing this is and really an act of faith that that they don't understand but it's it's out of that love that had, that was that was existed because of the relationship that they had with Jesus and it had been ongoing and and it is one of those things that that sometimes as we read the account we can kind of just read over it and read past it and we should take time to think of the of the honor that's placed there that that those people um showed the love that they showed to Jesus even in this moment um because that's not how it was in the whole community uh, you see Meanwhile, while they're doing all this work, of uh, preparing his body, the rest of the city is uh, back to its business as usual, at least trying to be. They're back to their, their customs that go along with Sabbath and go along with Passover. Many of them are trying to put aside the events of the day, trying to think, OK, that's done. We can forget about it. Um, And then there's others who are wondering how these events are all going to end. And so in Jerusalem, it's going to be for a few days a city of of unrest in in those ways, in in an emotional way, because what has happened, uh, what they have gone through and people are are not settled. Um, They want to be in some some quarters especially in the Sanhedrin and and some of the the chief priests and so on. They want it to be settled. They want to just move on. Um, But as we're going to read in the future, it doesn't just move on, does it? Uh, Jesus does rise again and and the apostles are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see that great story in the next few weeks. Still expectations. Um, As I said, the None of these uh, followers of Jesus expected the resurrection. They knew that He had brought Lazarus back from the dead. That only happened uh, in the last ten days or so, and so they had uh, many of them had observed it. And if they hadn't observed it, they had heard about it, and, and maybe even had met Lazarus after he had come back from the dead. So they knew Jesus had the power of resurrection, but He's dead how does he bring himself back if he's dead you know it is it's one of those things that just as a human being our minds can only conceive so much and conceiving uh that jesus could be powerful enough to bring himself back from the dead again they're just they're just not thinking that um and and we know i mean they prepared his body as if it's going to decay uh that's that's one of the things that uh, that they uh work really hard at and, and spend a lot of money to do um they grieve over his death and they felt the loss of their master and they are in a state of what do we do next kind of confusion they don't they don't know uh and in fact in some we we read about that they they are in fear still of of the leadership of jerusalem and 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 so they are um, in closed quarters, um, locked rooms, trying to protect themselves because they don't know whether they're going to be come after as well by the authorities. Um, We know that they are so not expecting a resurrection that when they do come to the tomb and find it empty, the first thought is somebody took the body and moved it. That's their first thought. Uh, it's not that, wow, he, he did come back. No, they didn't think that. It was, what happened to the body? Um, and they all had trouble believing uh, without actually seeing him, that he was alive. And we read these accounts um, as, as it goes on after the resurrection that someone would see him alive and tell somebody else, and they're like, nah, <laughs> Thomas wasn't the only doubter. Uh, in fact, they all were doubters. Um, and the classic example are the, the two that were on the road to Emmaus. But they all had this trouble of um, having uh, having to believe without actually seeing him. They were not expecting it. And this really will play into the arguments that we'll get into in a couple of weeks as to uh, the veracity of the claims. Because uh, they were not expecting it this was not a preconceived thing that a story that they would come up with uh, to try to continue their particular religion it's not they were not expecting jesus to come back from the dead um that's their state of mind um, as we get into it but what we're going to do now is actually read the account and we're going to read it um from three different gospels um all four gospels give an account of the resurrection and, uh, but they have different information. Um, and so I tried to sort of put it together in a way that, um, comes in, in a story form. Um, and so, uh, instead of having you turn to, I took it from three different gospels. And so we'll just go through and read it. The, the account as it is in these three different gospels. We'll begin with Mark chapter 16. Verses one to three, it says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And we know the stones were were big stones and it would take several men to roll the stone away and so they were going to have to try to to come up with a group of people of men to to push the stone aside so they could get in they were again not expecting uh what they found matthew this is one of my favorite uh, sections of verses because of, of what it describes it says and behold in chapter 28, verse 2 to 4, Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And so we, we see this as supernatural, a supernatural event. And um, And so this is how Matthew begins... His account. Then we'll go to Luke and, and, and finish up um, the account of the resurrection. And so Luke 24, 2 to 8 says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So, uh this is the account of the resurrection and as uh uh one commentator and I'm sure it's it's a lot of commentators will say this that Uh, the stone was rolled away not to let jesus out but to let the disciples in so they could see that that he was no longer there and one of the the reasons for that is uh, the when peter and john later go there the description uh, that were given as they run into the tomb is of the of the anointing clothes and even the head cloth that it's as if uh, his body just completely uh, leaves without them. He, he, his body just is able to go through and go, th- go through everything. And we know that when Jesus appeared uh, in the upper room to the disciples in the locked room, he didn't go through the door. He just appeared into it. He had that ability. When he was with the, the two disciples in Emmaus and it was eating with them, and once they recognized him, he, it says he just disappeared. And so in his resurrected body, he was no longer constrained by the normal constraints that that a, a human being has of, in their physicality. And so in his resurrection, uh, he does take a step up. <laughs> he does get an upgrade. And so um, that is uh, what they come in and they see. This empty tomb, they see just his, his, his uh, burial clothes, the claws, the wrappings um, laying there. And that's all that's there. But they also do get the word from the angels. God sends angels. God doesn't just leave them in the dark. Uh, God sends angels to say, yeah, he's risen, just like he said. And so uh, they then have to try to process this. Now, what does this mean to us? I'm sorry, I forgot that slide. Okay, the um, first thing, we're going to have five things uh, that we're going to cover that really are a a theological um, foundation for us in in our belief. What the uh, resurrection means to us. And the first one is that the resurrection of Jesus declares to us that he is the Son of God, just as he claimed. So, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 4. It says, Who was declared, that's Jesus, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the resurrection... Made this declaration that that he is the son of God. Uh, it put like the exclamation point on it. It affirmed it to to uh, all those who would believe that he is the son of God. That's one of the things that the resurrection teaches us, because any man can die, but not just any man can raise himself from the dead. Um, only Jesus could do that. And this this uh, demonstration of power is a declaration then of the fact that he is the Son of God. Now, we know that through his ministry, he had been demonstrating that over and over again, right? He had done many wonderful um, signs and wonders, miracles, and uh, things that the Son of God could do. But there had been prophets before who had also had the ability, because of, of the power that God put into them, to do miracles. And so um, the miracles were completely unique. Uh, there were some things, though, that did stand out that the uh, disciples had, had witnessed. Um, the, the breaking of the bread and feeding 5,000 people, that was, that was a pretty big deal just saying the words and calming the storm. That was the one that terrified the disciples, uh, because they said, what manner of man is this? And so they, they knew that this was a he was more than a prophet. And they were fully persuaded. They were fully persuaded that he was the Christ. Peter made that declaration, had made that declaration already. They knew that he was the Christ. Um, and even raising Lazarus from the dead, um, was a big deal, but see, Elisha did that. There were other prophets that had, had done signs and wonders. This was going a step beyond, and this is a, a, uh, kind of the exclamation point on the fact that he is the son of God. This resurrection, that he comes back himself from the dead. The next one is that the resurrection of Jesus confirmed the veracity of his teachings. He had claimed that he would rise again. Remember in um, John chapter 2, after he had cleansed the temple, uh, they came to him and said, Well, what sign do you show us that you have the authority to do this? And his uh, response to them was, uh, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And it says there that he was not speaking of the physical temple that uh, that they worshipped in, but he was talking about his own body and that was the reason it was that quote that was used 3 years later to seal the tomb <laughs> that was why they sealed the tomb cuz they remembered that um and so they they and they understood it but let's look also at mark 8 uh, 31 It says and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So he he told them that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he would rise again. And Peter began to rebuke him because they didn't want to hear that. That's not the message they wanted to hear. In fact, they wanted to hear that Jesus would be exalted. Uh, That's what they saw would be appropriate. This dying, the suffering and this, you know, all this stuff, that's not appropriate. Son of God shouldn't be treated that way. And uh, and so they, they just weren't receiving it. And look over at the next chapter again in verse 31 and it says for he was teaching his disciples and telling them the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later, but they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. And so he very clearly stated to them what was going to happen. Um, but you know how we are as human beings. You know, bad news is one of those things that we don't want to receive. And we don't receive bad news very well. And sometimes we like to just kind of stick it over into the category of sim- symbolism or, or something else. and um, Or let's just be in denial I and mean, pretend like you didn't say it. And so whatever it was, they weren't receiving it. But later they remembered later they remembered and, and they understood that um, he was telling the truth and that his, his words were true and so it does demonstrate the veracity of his teachings the third thing is that the resurrection of Jesus validated his death as an acceptable sacrifice for sins the resurrection shows us that God was fully approving and would not leave his son in death that God did receive this sacrifice when Jesus said it is finished. That means the atonement was completed and that the, the sins of mankind were covered. And so <coughs> God had accepted this sacrifice and God still being involved um, in, in, and. and in supporting the power to, to bring his son back from death. God, the father would not leave his son in death. And first Corinthians 15. Is uh, chapter 15 of first Corinthians is the, the great chapter that Paul wrote about the resurrection. And so we will be reading part of that here, it says, um, verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he, He has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most pitied. There are several points here that Paul is making that if there is no resurrection, if Christ hasn't been resurrected, there are things that we have lost. That, that we don't have. And so just as a list in verse 14, he says, uh, if, it, if there is no resurrection, our preaching is worthless. Our preaching is vain. And our faith is vain as well. It's, it's of no value. It's lost its value. Another thing is that we have been found to be false witnesses of God. Because if Christ isn't raised, then what we have done is created a gospel that goes against God. Because God is about truth. God is only about truth. He's not about false religions and, and make believe this or that. No, he's about the truth. And so if there is no resurrection, then we have created a religion that goes against God. And so that's the, the second point uh, that he brings up. The third was in verse 17, um, that our faith is worthless and we're still in our sins. Because it hasn't been atoned. You see the resurrection had to happen. In order to finish the work. It wasn't finished until. He came back from the dead. And we'll get into that a little bit more. As we go. Um, Well maybe I should do it now. In case I forget. But but, uh, think of it this way. Um, You go back to the very beginning. In Genesis. Chapter 3. And. uh, Adam and Eve were told, "The day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die." The penalty for sin was death. In order to 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 finish atonement, death had to be conquered. That's part of the deal. It's not only do we get forgiveness, but we also get uh, the curse withdrawn or the curse be broken. That's part of it, and the curse was broken with the resurrection. And so that's that's part of it. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, and if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're still in our sins. We're still guilty before God. It's not completed. Uh, the next one is in verse 18. Uh, those who have fallen asleep or those who've already died, they, they're dead. They've perished. There is no hope for them. And so... All of all of the the loved ones that that have gone before us, there's no hope for them if there is no resurrection. And the last one in verse 19, we are of all men to be most pitied because why? We wander around with this hope that's hope in nothing, um, and so so uh, that is. The, the impact of it and Merrill Tenney in his book the John the Gospel of Belief he, he writes, puts it in a, in a really succinct way he says the tragedy of unbelief which culminated in the cross would, would, would remain forever unresolved were there no resurrection I think I have this up here Yeah. for evil would have triumphed over good and the heroic and vicarious death of Jesus would be at best a magnificent but futile gesture in that event, faith in a, good pe- in a good God would be irrational. The concept of a moral universe would be impossible. And stark pessimism would be the necessary philosophy of all humanity. See, the resurrection um, means everything for us. Because when you think about the big picture, the big picture is the creator of humanity The creator of humanity uh, became um, at at war, if you will, with his creation. Because his creation uh, committed treason. But the creator of humanity set about a plan to reconcile with his creature. Um, But if that plan hasn't happened, if the plan didn't work, or if the plan is just a figment of our imagination, then we're lost and we're still at enmity with God, our creator. We, we, we have no restoration. We have no reconciliation. We have no forgiveness. All we have would be a stark pessimism about life. And really, isn't that what we see in so many people who, who don't believe? um all they all they have is what they can see in this world and and how depressing is that if that's all you've got um and so that is is what we're left with with that without the resurrection number four the resurrection of jesus demonstrated that physical death is not the end of human existence that there is a resurrection of human beings continuing on in 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 15 in verse 20 says but now christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep for since by a man came death by a man all, also came the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ all will be made alive that each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits after that, those who are Christ at his coming. And so uh, Paul asserts that there is resurrection. He doesn't leave us in, you know, in the depths of, of uh, pessimism, but no, there is resurrection. And so those who have been teaching that there is no resurrection, they're wrong. They're wrong because the truth is there is resurrection. Jesus did raise from the dead and he appeared to many witnesses, as he has already described in this chapter uh in the beginning of the chapter, all the of the people he appeared to after he rose from the dead so uh the resurrection does demonstrate that there is that there is something beyond our existence here on as we know it on this planet and then finally um the fifth point is the resurrection of Jesus is a proclamation to the world that the kingdom of God is ruled by a living sovereign. Jesus is not just a dead religious guru. There's a lot of those in human history, but that's not Jesus. He's not just some guy who came along and had some good teachings and then had a tragic end. No, he's living and he's a living sovereign Furthermore, he has conquered the curse. And what an amazing thing that is for us. And so our hope is in that. In Revelation chapter 1, this is a, an awesome, awesome two verses here. Chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. Jesus has appeared to John on this island of Patmos, and this is what he says to him Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one and I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades I am alive forevermore I'm not dead I was dead but now I'm alive and Jesus is making this statement in a very powerful way in a very powerful appearance before John if you read the description of Jesus as John sees him there I mean it's pretty awesome and and jesus is is not just uh some now typical human you know being that just walks around like we do with all kinds of frailty no he is sovereign he is lord and he is all powerful and so that is the demonstration that's there that jesus uh is the king who would, who would rule the world and his kingdom is ruled by him. So, what does that mean to us? The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for our future that has a destiny with God. It's not just death, it's not just the end, that we have a destiny. And so, uh, we have a phrase, we call it the blessed hope. Our blessed hope is that. That there is life after death, and this life is eternal life, and it's a life that's uh, that's a great improvement over what we have here. Uh, that this life is a fulfilled life, that we have a future with God, and that's something we place a lot of our our um, our energy of faith into. Uh, this is an wonderful thing because you know we live in this world that is so broken and has so many so much brokenness to it and we're part of the brokenness and we experience it and what we remind ourselves with is what's in what's ahead of us what's next and that keeps us going keeps us trusting uh, and god wants us to trust that he told us so much about it he wants us to have that in front of us, that hope. And that as we pursue God, pursue our relationship with God, we become ever closer to that. He's continuing to conform us and to make us into that person that fits into that kingdom, into that future. That's the destiny with God. The resurrection of Jesus, though, also gives us security and purpose in our present times that we are not alone. Jesus had told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. And as he, right before he left, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Um, he has promised to be with us and he ever lives to be our intercessor, right? He's always with us. He always knows what's going on in our lives. And he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to continue to uh to work in us, to teach us, to draw us to greater and greater faith. That, that the resurrection of Jesus gives us that security. That he's always watching, he's always there. Um, so again, it's not just a dead guru. But he is our Lord and Master. He is, not was, he is our Lord and Master. Third, the resurrection of Jesus gives us peace that our past has been atoned and that we are truly forgiven. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's completed. It's finished. And we don't have to live with carrying that guilt from the past and and, and the fear that, that God is someday going to let the hammer down on us. No, he already let the hammer down on his son. Jesus bore that for us. And so the resurrection then gives us peace. We can live at peace with God knowing that we're forgiven and that that atonement has been completed and that the curse is finally broken. And so we don't even have to fear death. Death, because death is not final. And so for us, uh, we uh, are able to to live in in that sense of, of wholeness and healthiness in our spirit. By the way, this should give us cause to praise God shouldn't it I mean it this this is the the stuff that should as as we begin as we meditate on these things should cause our hearts to be just lifted in praise before uh before the awesome God that we have and really if you think about it some of the best uh music that's ever been written is written about the resurrection it's the most glorious music it is I did check um in my book but in Handel's Messiah the hallelujah chorus is at the time period of the resurrection <laughs> it's amazing uh, the, just, just that breakout of praise and that is the appropriate response of the believer as we ponder the resurrection as we dwell upon it is to just break out in praise because it gives so much to us it, it fills us with so much and there's so much there for us there is a question, though, that is raised is, uh, do you have to believe in the resurrection in order to be a believer? I mean, you know, because resurrection is kind of out there. Well, this is what Paul said. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's part of the gospel. The resurrection is is the completion of the gospel. If we don't have it completed, then we're not, we're not saved. So yeah, in order to be a, a true believer, you have to believe in the resurrection, that, that, that God raised him from the dead. So that's the resurrection. We finished a little early, um, but uh, that's, that's what we have. The resurrection is such a great thing for us. And, and um, so I hope this is a, a blessing to you. And as it has been to me, as I did this, uh, this study for this, all right, let's close in prayer. Holy God, I am so thankful that, that our hope is in you and that we don't have to, in our own minds, and our own strength, conjure up some kind of way of coming to you, but you have provided so much for us. And this gospel that you've given to us is what redeems us and what makes us um, makes it possible for us to be your children. And so, Lord, we uh, just give you thanks for all of this praise, and may our hearts and our our praise be pure before you. Even today, as we we come as we are worshiping together, may it be lifted up to you, and may you be pleased with it and with how we live this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.